Welcome to Musings of an Extrovert. My name is Darvin Muentes. I am your host. And today I have a very special guest. Before we get to Brian, we are going to just talk about a couple things. So if you have been listening for a while, you know that I have a Patreon, you know that I have a website, you know that I've been just trying to promote uh, the podcast in any way that I can and promote my business. Uh, so I just like for you to take a moment, please go over to the Patreon. And if you would like, please subscribe to our Patreon for five bucks a month. You can help support this podcast and help me grow it. So thank you so much for listening and watching and please continue watching. The YouTube channel will always be free. So you can always watch it there. But if you like the podcast, please go ahead and help us out. Go ahead and uh, subscribe and just give some money so we can grow this podcast. Now today, I have a very special guest. His name is Brian Alexander. Brian, say hi. How we doing? <laughs> um, so why don't you just tell my audience something to help them get to know you? So yes, I'm Brian. I know this guy from church, small group. Uh, I work as a data analyst. I used to be a math teacher. Uh, I'm getting married this summer. Fun development in my life. Yeah, that's a very fun development. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm very passionate about you know finance investing. That's a big hobby of mine. Uh, I also really really love sports. Follow sports a lot. Football, basketball. Uh, I like to read nonfiction, uh, history. I read about finance. Yeah. Uh, a lot. Uh, work out when I can. A little golf. Mm -hmm. um, nothing. A little golf? Too As I haven't played. <laughs> I haven't played in a while. Yeah. Oh man. I, I well, I'll play and I would never get better. So it's just kind of like, why am I spending time on this? So <laughs> now I just play when friends are playing. He he's being very humble. We went to Top Golf not too long ago, and he was on the like good golfers side, and <laughs> him and Tori is his future wife. They both were actually really good. They they did very well. So I mean, compared it's all to relative me. people. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Relative to me, they're very good. Uh, so, what is your favorite sport? Uh, basketball by far. Basketball. I love love pro basketball. Uh, favorite teams the Lakers. Lakers. They're, okay. They had a big win last night, but they've been they've been upsetting me lately. Last couple <laughs> years, I was uh, well, I was a big Kobe guy. Gotcha. Kobe was you know, Kobe was. With a, was the one, uh, and I've just stuck with him ever since, gotcha. you know, so too late in life to, to go changing things like that. Yeah, so. yeah I hear you. Well, Brian is awesome, and he, like he said, he actually, a big hobby of his is uh, investing and finance, and so we're going to have a fun conversation about that. Um, today, we're going to talk about personal finance, and uh, this will be one of the first ones that uh, we do on Musings of an Extrovert about personal finance, but I'll have my wife on and we'll talk about some of uh, the cool things that we're doing with our investing and our personal finance, uh, some goals, debt payoff, all the all the different things that come with personal finance. Um, so today we're actually going to kind of do like a baseline, like what are some of these things that uh, financial advisors will tell you to put money into? Um, but before we do that, where we just have to say right off the bat that none of this constitutes advice. We are not financial advisors. Uh, I'm not a fiduciary. I am not someone who is claiming to give you advice, uh, and neither is Brian. We're just telling you about some of the things that we 
are doing. And we'll talk about some of these vehicles. There is plenty of literature on the internet. Uh, and I can't stress that enough. I mean, like you can go find from financial institutions the definitions of all of these things that we're going to talk about um, and you can understand it and learn from them and they're the ones who have the fiduciary responsibility to be the most accurate though we seek to be very accurate um, they have that responsibility we do not and we do not claim to be uh, giving you advice so once again not giving you advice just telling you about the stuff that we're doing um, but we're going to talk about it from Brian's perspective. You guys will get my perspective plenty in the future. Um, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun having this conversation. So my first question, Brian, is how did you actually get started in investing? What was, what was it that motivated you to get into investing? Actually, interesting story. So I've always been a numbers guy. Numbers make sense to me. I'm very left-brained, qu quantitative. Mm -hmm. uh, but I used that and I channeled it into like sports, fantasy sports, fantasy football. I was I spent too much time in my 20s focused on that. And so once, me and my father, we took a father-son trip to Alaska. We're in an RV driving around Alaska just looking at the most beautiful scenery you can see. Looking at glaciers, huge mountains. And I'm like, Dad, you know, I don't know what I should do for my fantasy football draft this year. I've got all these auction dollars and I've, I get to keep uh, this one player. I don't know if I should spend this much money on running backs, this much on receivers, or do what? And and my dad had actually told me this before, but for some reason it resonated. Mm -hmm. He's like, Brian, if you took all the energy you spent on fantasy football and use it in finance, investing, if you use like 10% of it, you, you would be, if you just focused it on something more useful, practical, you'd be retired by now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he uses use a little more colorful language uh, from my recollection, actually. <laughs> but for some reason, even though he had kind of said this before, it it actually clicked. It, it was a, you know, a, like, aha moment. You know, mm -hmm. it must have been the, the beautiful nature, the mountains. I was like, you might be right. And so when we got back from Alaska, I, I just dove into it head first. I started reading books, uh, just stuff on the internet, YouTube. Yeah. Uh, one, one way I learned a lot, I just put CNBC on, I didn't really understand most of what they were talking about all the time. So when they would say something, I didn't know what it meant. I would just go on the Google machine and look what it was. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just one of those things where the more you learn about it, the more you realize you don't know. Yep. And so it's just, you just realize it's like a walking into a, like a cave and just shining the light and just seeing all this, not everything you don't know. And that just kind of motivated me to to just start this journey of trying to learn as much as I can. And it's still continuing today, very much so. Mm -hmm. That was six, seven years ago. So yeah, that's how it started. That's awesome. Uh, so investing, that is, that's kind of like a scary word for a lot of people. Um, and you said that you had an aha moment and that's what drove you to going in into actually learning about it and then doing it. Um, that aha moment, I'm hoping that some people from listening to this can have that moment. Um, so I want to first kind of give you guys a definition of what uh, investing means. And then I'm going to ask Brian's um, perspective on like why you guys might be scared of it. So investing, 
here is the definition from Oxford Languages. It means to expend money with the expectation of achieving a profit or material results by putting it into financial plans, shares, or property, or by using it to develop a commercial venture. If it really means to expend with the expectation of achieving a profit, why do you think people are scared of it? So I have a theory on this, uh, and it's, it was also said in the movie uh, The Big Short, great movie, entertaining and educational about finances, about the the great financial crisis, the housing bubble in 2008. But mm-hmm. the first five minutes of this movie, they say, with finance, it's not that complicated, but they want you to think it's complicated. Yep. So they use these fancy words to describe things that are not complicated at all. So instead of money, they'll use capital. Yep. Capital is basically just money, how much money you have. Or liquidity. Liquidity means money as well, except yep. it's money you can actually spend instead of you know having equity or ownership in like a company or a building but they use these fancy terms so they'll think that you will think that they're really important and or even better off just leave them the heck alone Mm -hmm. you know say what we're doing you cannot do this you cannot figure this out we are too it is too complicated for you to figure out so just give us your money and we'll do it for you and really, 99% of these financial guys, what they're doing is not rocket science here. They're, yep. they're taking your money, you know, and they they have a model. Say, okay, this person makes this much money. They can afford to save this much. They want to retire at this age, and they want to have this much money when they retire. So they put it in a model. Say, okay, you need to save this much money. And then they give you a, a survey, basically determining how comfortable you are with risk, you know, and if you're... Very comfortable, they'll put you in riskier assets. If not, then they'll put you in bonds, less risky assets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once they have these models that work and they work well, they can just do it in indefin- definite amount of times and have the really limitless amounts of clients. Mm-hmm. And they can just keep collecting fees on... So, yeah, so they they would rather you not do it yourself. They'd rather... You give them the money, you give them their business, and them do it for you. Yeah. So, Yeah, and I, I think that that's kind of the way that a lot of people are, is we've kind of gotten into this culture, in America at least, um, and I'd say in any first world place, where there are a bunch of luxuries, a bunch of things that make life easier. Um, we don't have to think as much about something. That kind of fits right into the mold of where we live. It's like, why would I blend this by hand if I have a mi- like a, a power mixer? You know, I put it in the power mixer. The power mixer does everything. We have a KitchenAid. That's why I mentioned that. Um, but like, why would I do this by myself if I can just give it to someone else? And I think that there are real reasons why you should do it yourself with the counsel of others, um, not just by yourself. Um, but we live in a world that oh, well, it's so hard to understand, so I might as well just give it to someone who I think understands it and let them do what they're going to do with it. And so that's a really great point. I think that that is a real reason why people are scared of it. Um, Now, you did mention that there are a couple things that the financial guys will put it in. There's a bunch of words that people don't understand, and that's going to be a big portion of this particular episode. We're actually going to try to help you understand 
what some of these vehicles, some of the terms are that are used within the financial world. Uh, so some of those are going to be things like the 401k, the 403b, the IRA, Roth, and what the heck is Roth? Uh, why is it named Roth? Um, we probably won't go too far into that. It's named after a dude and his, was his last name or his first name? It was his last name. I don't know. His last name probably was Roth. Probably his last name. Um, but it was legislation that went into place a while ago. And then we're going to talk about real estate, HSAs, um, just a couple of these things that are thrown around, help you understand what they are. And then you can go onto the internet and go find more information on all of this stuff to verify what we're saying. Um, but let's start out with the 401k and the 403b. Brian, what the heck is a 401k and a 403b? So I never heard of 403b before, so I had to do a little research before this. But they're essentially the same thing. Uh, 401ks are offered by for-profit employers. 403bs are offered by nonprofits, such as uh, if you work for a church or a school. Uh, and basically what it is is you can take a portion of your salary and you can put it into a fund, some sort of a, a retirement um, investment tool, and it's tax-free. Tax so if you make $100, you would have to pay taxes on your $100, right? Or you could take you know, five of those $100 and put it in your IRA, or not night that your 401k, your 401k. it's a, it's all they're all funds yeah. um so you put it in that and you don't have to pay taxes on those five dollars you only have to pay taxes on the 95 dollars and your employer as a, a benefit to to signing on with them uh they can match some of that money so most employers they'll do some sort of a match mine is uh so if i save uh like Five percent, they will match three percent. So if I put five percent of my salary into uh, my four hundred one k, then they will take three percent of that, so sixty percent of it, and they'll they'll give it to me for free. Mm -hmm. So if you're not uh, doing your your employee match, you're basically throwing away free money. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people a lot of people don't know about that, and they don't do that, and they say it's too risky. I don't know about that, and they don't do it, and it's is literally is literally free money you're turning down. Yeah. But the uh, the the catch with that, they do this. They don't make you pay taxes, so that you will be less of a burden on society when you're older. It's to incentivize you to plan for retirement. Mm -hmm. So when you put money in in your 401k and not pay taxes on it, you can't. You're not allowed to touch it, withdraw on it until you're. 60 59. 50 yeah the some yep. age uh older than i am now so <laughs> well you actually can if you have hardship but you have to pay a penalty yeah so uh that's that's the deal with those yeah yeah so the 401k and the 403b those are offered through an employer um then there's something called an ira um and all of these three that we just mentioned they can potentially have a Roth component, which we'll go into after I discuss what the IRA is. But essentially, all of them have slightly different rules as to what they are. But if you think about cookies and a cookie jar, this is probably the best example that I've ever gotten of what an IRA or 401k or 403b is. The 403b is the cookie jar. And the 401k is the cookie jar. And that cookie jar is labeled, these cookies are peanut butter cookies. And peanut butter cookies don't get taxed on the money that's put in right at that time. 
uh, and you can save for retirement. You can, and they're labeled with all of the different rules that the money that you put into it has. But the cookies that are inside of it, those are not your 401k. The cookies that are inside of it are the actual investments that you're doing. So if you decide to put the money into mutual funds or you put it into bonds or you put it into a, uh, into a single stock, all of those things can be housed within that cookie jar. But the 401k, the 403b, and the IRA, they're all the cookie jar. And the cookies on the inside are the actual investments that you're doing. So if you just say, oh yeah, I put $5 out of the 100 into my 403b or my 401k or my IRA, cool. What did you put that $5 into within your 403b, 401k? And we'll, we can discuss some of that at another time. But just really want to get across that that's the cookie jar. That's the, the housing that's how the government will look at the money that you put in there. Um, and so it's important to understand that because then you can help make your decisions on your money by saying, oh, well, maybe this is a good way to put it for retirement, which there's a lot of data out there that says it is. Um, and yeah, so the IRA is another one of the cookie jars. The IRA basically is done through a brokerage or some type of financial institution and it has other rules that the 401k and the 403b don't have. Um, some of them are the amount of money that you can actually invest. I think it actually raised this year um, for what it can go into the 403b and what can go into the IRA. But the IRA typically is less. I think last year it was $6,000 that you can put into your IRA uh, or $7,500, something like that, versus $19,000 that you could put into your 403b or 401k um, and that can be tax deferred at that time so the ira is another way that you can put more money away for retirement outside of a 401k and 403b they can all be used at the same time if you wanted to uh, but that's basically what the ira is it's another cookie jar it's another place where you can maybe get access to more funds uh more stocks whatever the case is um you can get more access through whatever that financial institution is that you choose to open your ira but basically it's just an account and it's that cookie jar and then you actually choose the actual investments that you want in it so let's talk about roth because i think roth is a really cool one for people our age um so roth ira i'll throw it to you what is a roth ira so the whole thing with Roth is if you invest in an IRA, you don't have to pay taxes on the money you put into it. So it's, yeah, pre-income taxed. However, it's going to be theoretically in your account for 30 years and you're going to accrue a lot of capital gains on it. When you withdraw 30 years from now, all the capital gains you accrue, which is, you know, the money that you, not the initial capital you put in, it's the money that that money earned you have to pay taxes on that and through compounding over a long time that's going to grow to be a lot right so at the end of your retire or at the beginning of your retirement when you withdraw you're going to have a big tax bill uh, with Roth though what you do is you are taxed up front so your income your tax up front and then you put it in your Roth IRA and then it's going to, you know, grow and accrue, same as a regular IRA. Mm -hmm. But when you go to withdraw on that, a retirement age, you're done paying taxes. You don't have to pay any taxes on the uh, 
on what you have at the end. Yep. And the idea is uh, there's no, you know, set rules as to what works best. You know, it all there's a lot of variables at play. Yep. Um, but the idea is you, for most people my age, they think about it this way. You are going to be making more money when you're in retirement age and you're going to be in a higher tax bracket. So I've heard a lot of people, smart people say you want to go ahead and pay the taxes now. And then, you know, when you're making more money in a higher tax bracket, you, you won't have to deal with it. So just mm -hmm. go ahead and do it now. That's what my father said. And, and a lot of other smart people have said it that way. So that's, yeah. that's what I do with my uh, employee fund. I do yeah. Roth. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Roth option too. Uh, I won't add too much to that other than, yeah, it's tax free on all the gains, tax free on basically everything once retirement comes. But you pay the taxes now. So that $100, you're paying the taxes on 100 bucks, not just the 95. And then you're deciding, okay, out of the nine or whatever amount that I have left, let's say you paid 18%, that means you gave $18 to the government. Now you have $88 left to use for all of whatever expenses you have. And you're deciding to take a portion of your $88 and put it away in a Roth investment. And the Roth is again, the cookie jar, the IRA, 401k, 403b, all of them can be Roth options as well. You put it into that cookie jar and you decide to put it into an investment in there. And whatever it grows to, if it grows to from, I don't know, you put $12 in there and it grows to, this is a crazy outrageous number. It's just to illustrate the point. If it grows to $120 in those 30 years, then you now don't pay any taxes on the 120 when you pull it out in retirement. Now you won't, be pulling out all of your Roth IRA or all of your 401k in retirement, unless you've decided to make that a part of your plan. I don't know what you've made a part of your plan, but most people, most retirement people just pull out a certain amount out of their uh, Roth IRA, their 401k, all of those things in retirement. So you won't be paying all of the taxes on all the things you did come retirement. You'll only be pull paying the taxes on what you've pulled out if you have to pay taxes in the case of 401k IRA or 403b and they're not Roth. So Brian, real estate, what is real estate as an investment? And then um, maybe kind of get us a little bit of a differentiator between real estate as your primary and then your investment real estate. Uh, all of them can be seen as an investment, um, but one of them has a little more weight because it's the place that you're actually gonna be living in. Well, yeah, you got to live somewhere, so it's better off better off to own uh, because paying rent, you're just paying, giving money to someone and you never really see it again. But uh, with a mortgage, yeah, you're, you're accruing equity and when you're done with the mortgage, you own that home and it's an asset and you can, I, ideally it's gone up in value and you can sell it or you can rent it out or you can give it to your kids or... Or yeah, but yeah, so primary real estate is what you live in, and then there's there's investment real estate, and this is what people who, who have a lot of money they start to do. Uh, it's it's you know it's what you think it is. You buy houses, or if you have a lot of money, you can buy apartment complexes. You know, big duplexes with like eight units in them. Uh, so so you buy those, and then you rent them out, and then the people they pay rent, and you just collect the rent, and you take the rent, you pay your mortgage with it and you're just it's a way to amass equity in a in a strong 
asset. Uh, the real big advantage to real estate, though, is you can use it's a way of using leverage. So, if you buy a property for a million dollars, you'll typically have to put twenty percent down. So you're using five to one leverage, right? And and ideally, the the money you get from running it out, you can just take that and cover the expenses for your loan, and then you know after once the loan's paid off, you have you have the entire asset, you have the entire building, and you can keep running it out, and it's just going to keep generating cash flow. So, so people who have amassed, you know, generational wealth, it's very commonly through through real estate, and it's one of those things. Just once once you have an, enough real estate, you kind of reach a critical mass where you don't really have to work anymore. You can just live off of off the income stream that it has, and once you have you know so much of it, you can just keep buying more and more buildings, and it just and it just grows and grows and grows. So, yeah. so it's a, a a lot of people who have gained a lot of wealth. They've done it through through that vehicle. Yeah. It's it's very uh, it works works well that way. Yeah. So real estate, it again to kind of just get across the the main what is the difference. So your primary residence is going to be the one that you've invested in for you to live in, uh, and then your investment real estate is going to be for that purpose. It's to generate income so you can actually create wealth. Uh, the method by which you do that is, he explained one uh, method of going, getting your mortgage, but essentially it's the rent is gonna be the income generated from it as well as the, uh, the actual value of that house going up. Those are the two things that are helping you create wealth through that particular vehicle uh and yeah people who are very wealthy uh they buy these properties um a lot of the like really really wealthy people will they you have the grant cardone cardones of the world who are taking out you know millions of dollars in loans you have the dave ramseys of the world that are doing everything no no like mortgage at all uh, but what they are all doing is they are using rent and they're using the actual value of that property going up to amass the wealth that they're amassing. Um, so that's real estate in a nutshell. HSAs, we're gonna tag on this one real quick. Uh, so an HSA is another cookie jar. It is basically just another cookie jar, but this one has some cool benefits to it. Uh, I love the HSA personally. I invest in an HSA um, and praise the Lord that I am. There's been some medical expenses that have come up recently that have actually, I've been able to use our HSA and we've had money set aside for our medical expenses and the money that we're putting in is not being taxed. The money that we're taking out for those medical expenses are not being taxed. So it is a really cool uh, investment vehicle. Uh, Brian, do you have any anything you'd like to say about the HSA? Not really. It's no. just, it's essentially a, uh... 401k and Roth combined in one in the sense that you don't have to pay taxes at all as long as you use it on medical expenses, right? Yep. And, and then once you get to retirement, you can actually use it for non-medical expenses. Okay, I, I believe it will be taxed as normal income at that point. That's where it becomes kind of like your 401k. Okay. So it's pretty cool, cool investment vehicle. Uh, but as long as it's, if it's being used for just medical expenses, you will never pay a dime on taxes on any of the transactions. So that's three different transactions that most people have that won't 
actually be taxed and that's the money you're putting in the money you're pulling out for medical expenses and the gains on all of the investments that you put in that hsa so it's really cool investment vehicle look it up uh and see if that can fit into your financial plan uh and then savings accounts uh so savings accounts i'm just gonna ask what do you think personally savings accounts are good for yeah not a lot I mean, it's for people who are just completely risk averse and are scared to invest in anything because they cannot stand the idea of losing any money ever. But uh, you don't really get any return. I looked this up. The national average for a savings account is a 0.26% yield. Yep. So if you invest $100 in a savings account, you're going to get $0.26 cents return on that after yep. one year. Yep. So it, yeah, it's it's way of just keeping your money under a mattress essentially it's not even really protecting against inflation anymore so yeah i'm not a fan personally (laughs) uh do you use it for anything like no i i personally use a savings account for my emergency fund um so i keep an emergency fund and that my emergency fund is for the purpose of like if anything is to happen i don't have to pay any taxes or i have to deal with anything it's just there but my emergency fund isn't ginormous it's not like this you know 20 30 40 thousand dollar amount of money it's a smaller amount of money that helps you walk through an emergency actually and this is something that all of you out there should hear the united states i think it's like it's a ridiculous number like 60 percent of people in the united states can't cover a 400 hundred dollar emergency and that is a problem if your tire blows up that's expensive that that's probably a $400 emergency and you can't cover it. So that was statistically, you can't cover it. I, whoever's listening, if, if I say you, I'm not just saying you, I'm saying as a general statement. Uh, but that is an important thing uh, to think about is your emergency fund. So I use it for that. Uh, you can keep it in a brokerage account. You can keep it in other accounts as well. But uh, that is something that I use uh for my emergency fund instead of having that in investments where it's going to be volatile it might not have the same amount might have just a little bit less um this is a way that yeah it stays the same i agree though as an investment your yeah your your account is not a an investment vehicle because you're not going to make any return on it um and that's what an investment is supposed to do you're supposed to make a return the rule rule of thumb is have three months salary uh you know in rainy day money yep just, you know, in case you get laid off or big medical bill, you should yep. be able to cover that. So you should have that, you know. But yeah, you can have that in, in a brokerage fund. And if you have a $5,000 bill, you know, just sell your stock if you have to. Yep. And we can withdraw and get it the next day. Yeah. So that's that's the road I go yeah. with that. Yeah, and if you do that, you probably put it into something that's a little safer of an investment, not as risky of an investment. Or, I mean, if you like to live on the edge and have your emergency fund in in a risky investment, you can do that too. Um, So that was a lot of stuff we just walked through. Um, I want to get to this question. We're actually running out of time. Uh, This is a fun episode, and that's why we're making this one a little bit longer than what our normal is going to be in the future. But... I wanted to get to the why question. So what is your why? What is your investment philosophy? What is the big picture as to why you are actually putting money in investments? And, you know, most people, I don't think just get money because they want to have money. It's because of some other reason. Um, And if your motivation is just because you want to have money, 
then I would I would encourage you to find a better reason because just having money is not a satisfying reason to be able to amass wealth. Um, so what is your why? Well, my why is a couple reasons. One, it's it's almost a hobby for me. It's almost a game. I hear, you know, stories about how, well, it's not a story. It's a, it's a statistic how 10, 90% of professional money managers, they can't beat the market over a five-year period. So I want to try and do that. And I look at my investment returns over the year and it's almost, it's a competition for me. So mm-hmm. I want to do as well as I can because I'm just that, I just get that OCD about it. But but the end game for this is I want to get to a point where I'm financially independent. Yep. And that's where everyone should really want to get to. That should be the end game for everybody. Meaning financially independent is where you get to a situation where you have amassed enough capital that where the income that this capital returns every year is you know enough for you to live on, pay all your bills, do what you want, travel where you want to go. Um, without having to work. So yeah, everyone has different expenses, bills they need. Uh, so this is a different number for everybody. But yeah, that's the end game. And that's really retirement. You want to get to a point where you have enough money where the passive income is and you're set. You can yeah. do what you really want to do instead of uh, you know going to work every day. Yeah. So Yeah, and that financial independence, it doesn't look like just I don't want to work. It's you have the choice. It's you your go. choice now. You can say... Oh, yeah, I want to work at the market just because I want to be around people, but not because I need to make that money to actually eat this weekend. You have that money in your investments and throughout all the different things that you've done, the wealth that you've amassed, and it's making you enough that you can live on it. So that's a really great reason is financial independence. Um, And, you know, I I think most wise could probably fit into that umbrella um, of I want to get to financial independence because I want to travel more, you know? Well, if you want to travel more, then you can't be, you know, locked into a job where you only get two weeks of vacation, you know, or three weeks of vacation. Um, You want to go travel for three months? Well, if your investments are making enough cash, then you can go do that. Um, So that is a really important reason. Now, I have a final question for you. Um, this one's a fun question because you mentioned it at the beginning. Uh, you are getting married soon and that's super exciting. When are you getting married? June. June? June, yes. That's such an exciting time. It's probably going to be really hot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, outside too. Yeah. (laughs) Are you going to be wearing a full suit? That's the plan. Well, I don't know which one yet. I haven't picked it out yet, but that's the plan. Gotcha. Where have you looked for your seats so far? Kalav went to the mall, everywhere in the mall, but it turns out my suit is uh, going to be more summer color. Summer, they won't release it until, you know, the summer time time comes yeah. out. So it'll be February, March before I can actually get one. So, I'm, gotcha. yeah, I'll put it off for a little <laughs> while. I gotcha. Well, here's a fun question. Um, I asked this because I have had many conversations with my wife before we got married. We really like, I wanted to make sure with her that we were on the same page about how we were going to handle our finances when we got married um, and when we combined everything. And so I wanted to ask you, and I'll probably ask this about some other people when we have any more of these financial conversations. um, Have you and your future wife talked about 
money and talked about finances and how you guys want to handle your finances when you're married. Oh, yeah. Yes, a lot. It's been mostly me talking (laughs) because my other half, she has much less interest in this subject as I do. (laughs) But uh, no, what we're really looking forward to uh, living the same house and having only one housing expense. Uh, they say the rule of thumb is that out of your take-home income, like 30, uh, basically a third of it should go to your mortgage or rent or whatever. Uh, so right now I live in very moderately priced condo and I have a great mo- rate on it. So uh, when we combine both our incomes, the the percentage of our both our salaries is going to be very low compared yeah. to right now she has is paying a lot of her income in uh in her rank she lives in a nice place at those ocean front so so we're gonna have being a very very fortunate uh cash flow situation so what yeah. we're gonna do we're basically just gonna try and take her entire paycheck and and save it we're just gonna stack as much money as we can and we'll use it to upgrade our housing situation uh, in the future at some point. Mm-hmm. There's, there's <laughs> been talk about when that'll be in terms of how many years. I'd like to do it uh, a little bit later. I like to save money for longer. And she's like, oh, yeah. we can't have kids here. Like, I'm, I don't want this room to be a nursery. And I'm like, well, the kid's not going to care when he's six months old, you know? <laughs> so, but yeah, that's the idea. We're just uh, just not paying money on rent. And uh, just saving as much as we can, really. Yeah. And that's really the the core thesis for any anybody who's trying to amass a lot of wealth. Just really save as much as you can. Yeah. Put it in, yeah. get good returns. But the more you save, the better off you're going to be yeah. in the long run. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think that that's a great rule of thumb to mention is, hey, you're the, the best like way that you are going to actually amass wealth is not only because of your Roth IRA, your 401k, whatever you've actually put the investments into, but it's the ability for you to say, I'm going to put this amount of what I have today for tomorrow. Uh, And so that's a very important thing to remember. Um, So Thank you, Brian, for joining me. And thank you for sharing some of those things. Good luck. And uh, (laughs) I hope that like your marriage is super blessed. I can say, I can attest even with just three months in, um, marriage is a beautiful, beautiful thing. You learn how to care about another person more than you care about yourself. And that's a tough thing to do. Uh, and But it's an important thing uh, to help a marriage grow. And I've been told that a million times in my life and now I'm actually experiencing it. Um, and it's been pretty cool to experience it. So I pray that you have a fruitful, fruitful, fruitful marriage, um, and that your investments grow, that all the things that you're doing and your diligence will help you grow uh, in uh, your financial wellness. Um, and yeah, thank you again for joining me on the podcast. Any last things you'd like to say? Uh, I mean, just start as early as you can. Compounding is an incredible thing. Uh, and just the earlier you start, the better. Yep. Um, if you look at a graph of money compounded, you know, just it literally goes like that. So the earlier you start makes a makes a huge difference. Uh, yep. If you put it in the S&P 500, it's going to double 
every 10 years they say on concert they say conservatively so you know just do the math out earlier you start it's just going to keep doubling every 10 years so yeah start out earlier right after you finish college start your job just start doing it then at 22 and by the time you're 52 30 years you you you'll probably be in a very good situation where you can yeah you can probably retire honestly so Yeah. yeah well thank you again thank you guys for listening my name is Darvin Wentes. This was Brian Alexander. We've been your host for this podcast. Um, once again, please go ahead and check out the Patreon. Uh, and uh, most of all, like, subscribe, leave a comment, and hit that bell. That way you can get notified every single time I drop an episode. We will have more financial conversations in the future. I'll probably bring other people. You'll hear from a bunch of different perspectives, the different ways that people are actually putting money away and actually investing. And it'll be a lot of fun. The investment journey, your financial journey is going to be different for every single person. Um, So as you listen to this and listen to other podcasts, a huge one that I recommend uh, as a financial podcast is The Money Guy Show. They're based out of Nashville and they're really, really great. It's two financial advisors. Uh, One's really young, one's a little bit older, uh, and they both have a lot of really great things to say. Uh, The Dave Ramsey Show is a great one too. for and they all have different like tastes so if you are more debt averse and you don't like debt dave ramsey is a great person to go to if you are okay with debt in and you're able to go the money guy show is great if you are on the extreme end of it the cardone uh the cardones of the world are going to be really great people to listen to um but like you said start early And just join us on this financial journey. As we talk about it, we're going to have a lot of fun. So thank you for joining us today. I hope you have a wonderful day.